Welcome to the sermon podcast for the Midtown Fellowship Granny White Congregation in Nashville, Tennessee. This fall, we are studying one of the most challenging and difficult to understand books of the whole Bible, Revelation. But what we will find as we study this book is that God is reframing our reality through what he teaches us in it. If you're in town and would like to join us in person, our services are at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings at 3410 Granny White Pike, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, My name is Gary Anderson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. Uh, I see that school is back in session. Kids are in the service. That's awesome. Everyone's back in church. Welcome. Uh, We are so glad that you are here. If you are visiting with us this morning or here for the first time, uh, we just want to extend a really special welcome to you. We know uh, that it can be really hard and intimidating to go to a new church. And our hope and prayer is that you would not only find this to be a welcoming and loving place, but that you would encounter the living God with us. Uh, Before we get into the message today, I just want to say a few personal words. Uh, I want to say thank you to all of you who were praying for me this past week. Uh, If you weren't praying for me, well, that's all right. Uh, I had my last uh, oral exam in the ordination process this last Tuesday. These last couple weeks, as we have been announcing that I'm going to have an ordination service tonight, or we're going to have an ordination service tonight, I would get this like pit in my stomach because I was like, if I fail this last exam and we have to cancel the ordination service, that will be an amazing face plant in front of all of you. And I took a few face plants uh, in the oral exam this past Tuesday, but they were basically like, ah, it's good enough. We'll let you through. So um, thank you for thinking about me. Thank you for praying for me. And uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. So let's go. Uh, It was was early in the morning uh, one day in 1952. Uh, Not many of us were alive then, some of us were. Uh, And a woman, a 33-year-old woman named Florence Chadwick, who was a native of Southern California, stepped into the chilly waters off the coast of California in the channel that runs between the coast of California and an island called Catalina Island. She was going to attempt to swim the 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coast. Now, she was a very accomplished open water swimmer already at this point in her life. She had already swum, swum, that's the past tense of swim, she had already swum the English Channel twice in both directions. She set records for time, at least one direction, maybe both directions. Uh, And as she got into the water that morning, she was surrounded by several boats that were gonna travel alongside of her to watch out for sharks. Uh, and to make sure that she was safe and could be taken out of the water in an emergency along the way. 15 hours into that swim, a dense fog descended on the water. It was so thick that she could not even see the boats around her. And after struggling through that for a few moments, she, she yelled out into the darkness to her mom, who was on one of the boats, I don't think I'm going to make it. And her mom responded in the way that literally billions of mothers through all of time have responded. You're doing great. You're going to make it. About 16 hours into that swim, an hour after that fog descended on her and she couldn't see anything, hungry, tired, so cold and exhausted, she asked to be pulled out of the water. 
when she was pulled onto one of those boats that had been traveling alongside of her for those 16 hours, what she found out was that she was at mile 25 of the 26 miles that it took to get to the shore. She said in a news conference the next day, she said, the fog was so thick I couldn't see anything. Then she said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And I love that story because I think it is such an amazing picture of life. Is that not how life feels so often? Like we are, we are treading water through freezing cold, shark-infested waters. The fog is so thick, we can't see our hand in front of our face. And it's like a lot of us are not even sure where we're headed. I, I, as, as ordination, as the ordination process has come to a close for me, and even in just this last week, I've had more time to spend with people. I've, I've had a lot of meetings with people in this last week, and it, it's just been a, a really sobering reminder as I have met with uh, people from our church and outside of our church over and over in those meetings. Life is hard, and people are going through really crummy things. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes life feels like that swim in 1952 for Florence Chadwick, where we are just, we are treading water in cold, shark-infested, dangerous water, and we're not even sure where we are headed. We need a vision of the shore. Two months later, Florence Chadwick got back in the Catalina Channel between California and Catalina Island, and she started to attempt to make that swim again, and the exact same thing happened. Partway through that swim, dense, dense fog descended. She lost sight of everything around her and she lost sight of the shore, but she kept swimming and she made it that time. And she said afterwards that when the fog had descended, what she did was she kept a mental picture of the shore in her mind and she just swam towards it. We need a vision of the shore, which is why I am so excited about the sermon series that we are starting today. Uh, we are kicking off our fall sermon series today, and it's a doozy. It is going to take us uh, from today through the Advent season, and we are going to do a deep dive into the book of Revelation. Now, some of you know that, some of you don't, and I can see some of you smiling, and I can see some of you like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Can I just, can I just keep it real with you for a moment? Uh, I am the new guy here on staff. I'm the new pastor here at Granny White. And um, this will be the first series that I really preach the bulk of the series. And I don't know what hazing looks like in a church context, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm experiencing it right now. Because it's like, it's like welcome to the team. Um, you're preaching revelation to kick it off, right? Like, first impressions are so important and... Um, so I have, I have approached this fall with, actually it would have been great if I failed my ordination exam and had to kick it out three months and Randy had to preach this series too. But as I have, seriously, as I have uh, dug into this book, the little bit I've been able to in the last few days after I finished my exam, uh, my like fear and trepidation, Revelation is probably the most intimidating book I can think of in the Bible to preach. That fear and trepidation has changed to like extreme excitement. I am really excited about this series and about what uh, we are going to learn as we dive into the book of Revelation together. Uh, we are calling this series Reframing Reality. 
And that is like really important for us to, to just hang out in for a few moments. The title of this series, Reframing Reality, because this is why. Because when, I'm, when I start this message off and I'm like, we need a vision of the shore to get us through this life. And then I'm like, and revelation is that vision of the shore. I think maybe a lot of us, especially if we've been around church for a while and we know the book of Revelation, we're probably like, I'm not sure that's the vision I want to be swimming towards, right? Like uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse, um, demon locusts, uh, beasts and antichrists and harlots and Armageddon and uh, pl uh, plagues and tribulations and natural disasters and blood flowing as high as a horse's bridle that's in there. We're going to get to it one of these weeks. And it's like, is that really... Is that really the vision? Is that really what's going to get me through this life is the vision of that? And my answer to you today is a wholehearted yes. Because revelation is a revealing of what is the really real. And it's full of images and symbols and things that are confusing. And so this feels like I'm, like, like I'm not making any sense because I'm like the thing that's most confusing in scripture is the thing that we need to be always aiming towards as we are working through this life. But what we are going to find in the next 15 or 16 weeks together as we get into this reframing of reality is that revelation is all about God speaking through this author, John, and saying, you think things look a certain way, but that is not the reality. And I'm gonna give you a picture of what is really real. We need a vision of the shore. Now, uh, maybe there has been no book, uh, not maybe, undoubtedly, uh, there is no book in the Bible that has been more misused, abused, misapplied, confusing uh, than the book of Revelation. And so we're going to do our best to help us work through that, stripping away as much of we can as the noise that is around Revelation. And one of the ways that we are going to do that is we're not actually going to read it chronologically. So the book of Revelation, and this is like key to unlocking it. If you go home today and you're like, I want to know what we're about to study for the next four months, and you read the book of Revelation, you need to know it is not written chronologically. So there are things that happen that it's talking about that, that came before the part that we're in right now. The bowls and the seals and the trumpets, those we think are all the same things. They're just a recapitulation of the same thing happening over and over. It's a new vision of the same thing. And so the way that we are going to teach through Revelation this fall is not chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. We're going we're to work through it in a way that helps draw out the meaning. And we're not going to go through it from first word in chapter one to last word in chapter 22. So today... I just don't want you to be confused. We are starting in Revelation chapter one. But we're... No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Verse four. Verse four. Okay? Chill out. Next week, we'll do verses one through three. But today, we're doing Revelation chapter one, starting in verse four, and we're going to go through verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, would you meet me there? We'll have it up on the screen as well. Revelation one, verse four. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, one of the things, this is not part of my sermon, but I just thought about it while I was reading it. One of the things I'm most excited about this series is the worship songs that we're gonna sing because so many of our most precious and amazing worship songs find their, their biblical root in the book of Revelation. So let's go. Uh, there are three things that I want us to draw out of those verses that we just read uh, as we start to think about what does it mean to understand the crazy book uh, that we call the book of Revelation. And the first one is this. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus. So before we um, like really dive into this, what's really gonna be helpful for us is if we just get a little bit of historical context for when and why and how the book of Revelation or what actually was the letter of Revelation was written. So uh, just, just to get our New Testament timeline hats on, Jesus comes around the, the time that it changes from BC to AD. Technically, we think he actually was born like around 86. He's, he's on earth for about 30, 35 years. So sometime in the mid 30s, we believe Jesus was crucified, dead, resurrected, ascended into heaven. AD 66, the Roman emperor is Nero. He is a megalomaniac, which I just think that's a phenomenal word, who is uh, famous for his persecution of people who did not bow to him. Uh, he is known for... Um, actually lighting Christians on fire to light up his dinner parties. He was not, we believe he was not right in the head. But during Nero's reign, AD 66, the nation of Israel, which has been under Roman occupation since before Jesus was born, revolts. They're like, it's time for this to be done. And that, that begins the Jewish war. Now it's little Israel against big Rome. And so we probably, if you don't know how it ended, you probably can guess. Four years later, AD 70, the Romans come in and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. The church is scattered. The church begins to spread out because of that. Persecution breaks out. There are a few more emperors. And when we get to about the 90s, it's actually in the early 80s, uh, uh, new emperor Domitian, is now the emperor of Rome. He's like his predecessor, Nero. Domitian uh, wanted all of his Roman subjects to call him uh, Lord and God. He required people to uh, go into the temples and burn incense in his honor. Caesar is Lord, comes from Domitian. And his reign is known as a reign of terror for those who called Jesus Lord, because unlike many of the other, uh, their counterparts in the Roman Empire who served all, and all kinds of gods, and so to call the Caesar God was not that big of a deal, those who called Jesus Lord believed that there was one Lord, one way to heaven, and they could not bow the knee to Caesar, and he was not happy about that. So his was a reign of terror, and persecution, fierce persecution broke out against Christians during his reign, we believe that the book of Revelation was written sometime in the 90s during Domitian's reign, and it is a letter to churches who are suffering under the persecution of Domitian. And that's exactly what we see as we enter into this book in these first few verses that we read. So meet me again in verse four. John, 
So this guy, John, is writing to seven churches that are in Asia, okay? Now drop down to verse nine. They're connected. This is where John says what he's doing. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So what is he saying here? So he's saying, my name is John. Who is John? Uh, most scholars believe this is the beloved disciple, the apostle John. But just to be fair to the, the um, academic research that is out there, not everyone agrees about that. Some people believe this is a different John. Doesn't matter for the message of the book, which John it actually was. It is undoubtedly God's revelation through a man named John. And he says what to these churches that he's writing to? I am your partner in the tribulation. Not your partner in the success, not your partner in the ease, not your partner in um, the glory. I am your partner in the tribulation because that's what they're experiencing right now. And the kingdom and the what? The patient endurance, not in the like hanging out on our couches, not in this is kind of fun and easy and cool, but we're having to endure something. And then he says, he's on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos was a, a prison island, essentially. It's where they sent, it's where the Roman Empire sent people who uh, did not do what they wanted and they weren't happy with. So John is in exile. And not because he decided to, not because he was like, I need a little time away to clear my mind. Not because like, I need a nice little island getaway. He has been forced to go there because of why? On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So like really simply, because he believed in God and called Jesus Lord, he has been punished by the empire that he is living under. As we enter into the book of Revelation, what we need to just be really clear right up front because it, it covers the whole rest of, of the book is that to be a Christian in the time that this letter was written meant that there was a cost. To, to call Jesus Lord cost you something. And that should be still true today. So I don't know if any of you have ever gone to a group exercise class. I used to do, I used to do CrossFit which you all should be really impressed. No, 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 because, because I've been here nine months and that is the first time I've told you that I used to do CrossFit. <laughs> the only thing CrossFitters like more than doing CrossFit is telling people that they do CrossFit. So I don't know if you've ever done CrossFit or Iron Tribe or Orange Theory or Group X at the Y or you know, whatever else there is. When you sign up for one of those classes and you go to it, what do you expect? that it's gonna hurt, right? It just is part and parcel with what you're signing up for. No one signs up for that and shows up in pajama pants and a, and a hoodie expecting to kind of hang out on the couch and watch Netflix for an hour and then head home. If, if you want change, if you want some gains, if you want uh, to be thinner or your heart to be stronger or your muscles to be stronger, there's, there's a cost involved in that and there's no like, there's no hiding that. Right up front, you know what you are signing up for if you get involved in something like that. And it is the same for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, right? If we, if, if we were just to stop right now and take a biblical theological survey of everything in this book, all the places in this book, forget the book, just the New Testament. If we just said, we're gonna run through the New Testament and look at every place that Jesus or another one of the New Testament authors says, it's gonna be hard if you choose to follow me with your life. We would be here all afternoon 
Because over and over and over again, Jesus is saying things like, if the world hated me, they're gonna hate you. And if you're gonna follow me, that means take up your cross and follow me. And, and we, first Peter, first Peter four, Peter, first Peter says, he says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as if something strange were happening. The message over and over and over of God's word is if you choose to follow Jesus with your life, it is going to cost you. But so many of us, and this is not a you all, this is a, a we all. It's like we read God's word and we get this amnesia real quick because we read all that stuff, but then we sign up to follow Jesus. And when things start going sideways or when life gets hard or when things are not happening the way that we want them to, or work is, work is rough or things in our family are rough or the marriage is rough or money's not where it needs to be. We're like, God, what's the deal? Like, I thought I was your beloved child. Like, wh- why, 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 is this, why does it feel like it's costing me to be your follower? And he's like, because well, I told you it would. There's a cost to follow Jesus. Now, for the original recipients of this letter, that was a real cost, like real religious persecution. They were losing their homes. They were being thrown in prison. They were losing their lives. Their families were being pulled apart all because they submitted themselves to Jesus Christ as Lord. Most of us in this room have not experienced persecution in that way. Some of us have, and I'm not discounting that. Most of us have not. There are plenty of our brothers and sisters in the world today who who that is real for them right now places in the Middle East and some places in Africa and places in China and in the Far East, that, there is real threat. There is like, if you choose to, to, to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord, there is gonna be a real cost to your life. But even if we're not under that kind of religious persecution, even for those of us who are here in Green Hills, 12 South, South Nashville, there is still a cost to following Jesus, or there should be. Because if we really believe that he is Lord, and we really believe that these are his words to us, then what that means is that this book gets to, gets to say a lot of things about how you live your life. It gets to tell you how you spend your money. It, it gets to tell you how you do your job. It gets to tell you how you do your marriage, how you do your dating relationships. It gets to tell you who you sleep with. It gets to tell you how you raise your kids. It gets to tell you how you treat your neighbors. And, and here's, the, here's, the, like, here's the upshot of it. <laughs> the answer from that book is not do whatever you want. Right? Because, because to be a disciple of Jesus means that we follow the way of Jesus and the way of Jesus is counter to the way of the world. Again, a huge theme in the book of Revelation. And we just need to establish like right up front before we dive into this, that for the follower of Jesus Christ, that is going to cost. Good? Agree? Second thing I want us to see in this, there's a cost of following Jesus, but in the midst of experiencing that cost, God is speaking to us. And I know that's like, you could be like, well, pastor, that's really kind of basic. And I know, but that's what we need to know as we enter into this book of Revelation. God is speaking to us. Now, I've talked about this a little bit already, but we need to just make sure that the the point hits home. Um, Meet me again in verse four. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. What, if you have like any familiarity with the rest of the New Testament writings, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like how Paul opens all his letters, right? It's, it's the beginning of a letter. And so, so skip down with me again 
to verse, uh, verse 11. John hears a voice behind him. He's in the spirit of the Lord's day and the voice behind him, which is Jesus, says this. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So what does Jesus tell John to do? Write a letter and send it out. The, the book of Revelation, and this again, this is just so critical for us to understand, is a letter. And, and as we get to the next couple of chapters, chapters two and three, uh, you'll know that, that those chapters very famously are known as the seven letters to the churches. That's actually a misnomer. It's seven messages because it's one letter. Revelation is one letter written to seven churches. Now, who's the letter from? Now, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you because a lot of you are going to want to say John. Verse four, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's not John. That's God. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What is that all about? Let me just tell you. Uh, in the Bible, and in, particularly in Revelation, numbers matter. Numbers are really important. And seven in the Bible is the number of fullness or completeness or wholeness. So there are how many days in a week? Seven makes a whole week. And so while, don't, don't get too confused about the seven spirits. That is simply a different way of speaking about the Holy Spirit, the perfection of spirit. Got it? So it's from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this is a letter from who? The Trinitarian God. And who is he writing to? Well, seven churches. And I read those names as we read through the text. But, but here's what's like so critical for us to pick up in this moment. Remember what I said about the seven spirits? Why is he writing to seven churches? Because seven is the number of fullness, completeness. He's writing to seven real churches, but who's the letter for? The whole church. That seven number is really meaningful because this is not just a letter to seven individual churches somewhere in AD 90 or 95. This is a letter to every church that calls Jesus Christ its head for all of time since the letter was written. And that is so critical for us to understand. God is not just speaking to those seven churches in the book of Revelation. He is speaking to you and I today. But here's the deal. If this is a letter, a real letter written to real people in a real place in time at a real point in history, and this is where virtually all of the misuse and confusion and abuse of the book of Revelation comes from. If it was a real letter written to real people, it cannot mean more for us today than it meant for them 2,000 years ago. So what that means is that the book of Revelation is not a code book to be deciphered. It is not a blueprint for us to figure out when the end times are coming, how they are going to come. I'm just telling you right now, because it was written to real people in a real place at a real time, we are not going to find Obama in here. We're not going to find Trump in here. We're not going to find Biden in here. We're not going to find anyone like that in here because it can't mean more to us than it meant to them, because it was a real letter written to real people, but it's meant for all of us. So just, a, just imagine for a moment that you got like, let's say you were in an antique store and you were into antiques, uh, not antiques, old documents, whatever, and you found an old map of New York City, say 1920s, 100 years ago. If you took that old map of New York City and you went to New York City today, would it help you get around? The, 
here, I'm gonna, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue yes. Would it be perfect? No. Like, are there gonna be streets that were closed that were open back then? Is it gonna be much bigger and wider and broader? Are there gonna be some cut-throughs that used to be cut-throughs and now there's a townhome there? For sure. But, but are you gonna be able to get an idea of the broad layout of New York City from, a, from an old map of New York City? I think so. Now, what if you took that map and went to Chicago and used it to get around? How's that going to work out for you? You're going to be lost, lost, lost. Now, there might be some coincidences. There might be a main street in New York and a main street in Chicago, and you think, well, there it is. They line up. <laughs> but you're not going to get to the Empire State Building in Chicago, right? Because it can't mean more today than it meant back then. And the same is true of the book of Revelation. Uh, Raymond Brown is a really well-known uh, New Testament scholar. Don't agree with all his theology, but he has a great quote about the book of Revelation. He says, the author of Revelation did not know when or how the world was going to end, and neither does anybody else. That is not the point of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written to a bunch of people who called Jesus Christ their Lord, who were having a hard time swimming through the cold, shark-infested, fog-covered waters of life to remind them of basically what the rest of the New Testament already teaches. Jesus is Lord. He calls us to obedience. And we know how it all is going to play out in the end. And that is the same message for you and I today. You'll hear me say this a lot this fall, maybe. I just think it's a great line. So when someone asks you, when is Jesus coming back? Or what does the tribulation and the millennium mean? And are you premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial? Here's what you can tell them. That's what a professor of mine in seminary said. I'm on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. <laughs> God is speaking to us today through this book. Costly to follow Jesus. God's speaking through us through this book. And here's the last thing that I want us to see in the book of Revelation. You're going to be like, dude, you just told me we don't know it. But we know the end. That's, that's, that's the last thing I want us to see. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know the details, but we know the big picture. We know how the end is going to come. Look back with me at the text. Uh, let's look back at verses 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. He's, talk, he's talking about Jesus. Even so, amen. And then Jesus himself speaks up, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What is, what is, what is Jesus saying there in, in those just that one verse, verse 8? Remember back in verse four when it says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And we said, that's talking about God the Father. Get down to verse eight. Jesus says, I am the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What is Jesus saying? I'm, the, I'm God. I, I, am, I am God. When he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, that is a very um, Hebraic way of speaking. And Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so what Jesus is saying when I am the alpha and the omega is he is saying, I am everything. I am the thing that started this whole deal. And I am the end toward which everything is moving. He's saying, I am God. And what does verse seven say? Just backtracking one verse and behold, he is coming with the clouds. 
So what do we know right up front before we get into any of the crazy images and stories and Lord of the Rings style stuff that we are going to see in the book of Revelation? What do we know right up front? Jesus is Lord and one day he's coming back. And I love that this is how God gives us this book. Because for those of us who know the trajectory of the book of Revelation, you know it's about to get weird. There's some strange stuff over the next 22 chapters. There's some confusing stuff. There's some like, what is going on here? And it's like God knew that. And he's like right up front, before this all gets weird, you just need to know one thing. You need to have one thing settled before you get into this this book we call Revelation. It's not Revelations. I meant to say that up front. It's one revelation, one letter. It's Revelation, okay? One thing you got to get right up front. Jesus is Lord. And one day he's coming back to put everything right. We know how it ends. We, We can have a vision of the shore as we go through the fog of this life. A couple weeks ago, we took our summer vacation and we went uh, to the mountains and we uh, went to Dollywood. I thought, there, I thought there would be like a little more. I mean, that is a, first of all, it's an amazing slice of Americana. But what, a, what an amazing, like what a great amusement park. Like we're not a huge amusement park family, but it is a, it's a great park. And we're not all coaster people in my family, but some of us are. And you can get your coaster fix at Dollywood. And just like, if you can pull this off, this is just, this is free, has nothing to do with the book of Revelation. The post-dinner hours at Dollywood are really strong time to be there. There were, uh, there was one night where we rode several roller coasters, came back in, and there was literally nobody in line. So we just stayed strapped in and went back out again. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Uh, there's something really critical that happens when you ride a roller coaster. Like literally, it's the most important thing that can happen before you ride a roller coaster. You get strapped in, right? It's the difference between having a really, really fun time and dying. (laughs) Before that sucker pulls out of the gate, you get something put across your lap or you get something put across your chest or put across your shoulders or both. You get a restraint put on you because it's about to get weird. There's going to be some big drops there's going to be some loop-de-loops. There's going to be some corkscrews. You might go through some tunnels. You, who knows what else you might happen. And you need to get strapped in before you go out so that you stay safe and come back in in one piece. And here, like, we're not even 10 verses into the book of Revelation, and God is like, let me just get you your safety restraint before we get into this crazy book called Revelation. And what is true for this book is true in all of our lives. Life is going to get weird Life is going to get scary. Life is going to get hard. It's going to get sad. There's going to be drops where your stomach goes into your throat, like when they announced your ordination service and you're not ordained yet. (laughs) There's going to be loop-de-loops and corkscrews, and there's going to be all kinds of things that you didn't expect, and you were like, I did not think that this is how my life would go. And God is just like right up front, before you get into all of that, I need you to put on your safety restraint. I need to remind you that before that stuff starts happening, I am, in, I, am, I am God. Jesus is on the throne. And we know how this all plays out in the end. That's the gospel. The gospel is that there are things 
that we feel, things that we think we see, there are emotions that we have that are not true. And there is something outside of ourselves that is, that is solid and sure. And, and our feelings and our emotions can deceive us. But there is a God who sits on the throne even on the days that it doesn't feel like he is there. And he is good and he is loving and he is the omega. And all of this whole deal is moving towards him as the end. And we know, not in detail, not the date, not the time, not the manner, but we know big picture how this all plays out in the end. And that that he comes back and he puts everything right. That is the vision of the shore that we need. Listen to, this, listen to this quote from John Piper. I just, uh, one of the other pastors shared this this week and it was like, oh, I, I wish I could write or talk like that. And it's like, oh, well, that's, he's John Piper and I'm pastor in residence Gary. <laughs> this is what he says. When huge pain comes into your life, like divorce or the loss of a precious family member or the dream of wholeness shattered, it is good to have a few things settled with God ahead of time. The reason for this is not because it makes grieving easy, but because it gives focus and boundaries for the pain. Being confident in God does not make the pain less deep, but less broad. If some things are settled with God, if you got your restraint on, there are boundaries around the field of pain. In fact, by being focused and bounded, the pain of loss may go deeper as a river with banks runs deeper than a floodplain. But with God in his firm and proper place, the pain need not spread out into the endless space of ultimate meaning. This is a great blessing, though at the time it may simply feel no more tender than a brick wall. But what a precious wall it is. It is good to have a few things settled with God ahead of time. That is what the opening verses of the book of Revelation are telling us. Feelings and emotions, and frankly, our lived experience in this life can deceive us. The shore might be less than a mile away, but we can't see it because of the fog. But we know how it ends. And that is the vision that can get us toward it. Maybe my favorite story of Jesus in, uh, in the New Testament, and all three of the first gospel writers have it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is uh, one night in the middle of the night, it's been a long day of ministry, Jesus and his disciples go out on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and they're rowing, and it's calm and clear and beautiful, and Jesus falls asleep in the back of the boat, and then this wicked storm descends on the sea, and that's true, that happens on the Sea of Galilee, it's not like it's not made up. Uh, it's got all these mountains around it and these storms can get kicked up really quickly. And uh, all of a sudden, the disciples are, are bailing. They can't bail water fast enough. The ship feels like the ship is starting to sink. The, the, the lightning and the thunder and the rain coming sideways and the clouds. And they weren't necessarily in fog, but they couldn't see the shore anymore. And they think that they're gonna die. And they, they're terrified. And they wake Jesus up and they're like, don't you care that we are perishing? And I, I, you know, this, the, the text doesn't say anything about this. I just know how I feel when I get woken up in the middle of the night and like happy is not the first word that comes to mind. And so I just imagine Jesus is like, what are you waking me up for? And he sees what's going on and he stands there in the middle of the boat and he says three words, at least in English, it's three words. He says, peace, 
be still. And I've, I've preached that passage, I've studied that passage a lot. Clearly he was t- talking to the wind and the waves and what happens when he says that is the storm stops. The, the, the wind and the waves recognize the only voice they know, the voice that created them and they obey it. But I am convinced that those three words were not just for, this, for the wind and the waves. In fact, I, I almost like to believe Jesus was looking at his disciples when he said it. In the midst of this chaotic storm where you think you are, there's no way you're gonna make it, Jesus is like, peace, be still. You know what he was saying to them? You can't see the shore, but you don't need to because I'm the shore and I'm in the boat. I'm the one you need. You're forgetting who is in the boat. Peace, be still. And as we open up the book of Revelation, what is Jesus speaking to you and I through this amazing letter that was written to seven churches 2,000 years ago? He is saying, peace, be still. I am the shore. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth and beauty and challenge and um, conviction of your word. We thank you for the incredible privilege it is that we have it. And uh, God, we pray that you would just impress the incredible hope that we have in you onto our hearts today. God, I don't know what, what everyone in this room is walking through in this moment, but I know there's someone here today who needs to be reminded that we know how this all ends. I pray that you would allow all of us to leave here with hope and peace. For those, those of us who know you and have, have bowed to you as Lord and Savior of our lives, may you remind us today that we are your precious sons and daughters and you love us like a good father and you are working all things to your intended end, which is our good and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.